pickaxe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to One Life Left versus Gamma Sutra day three. I think we're on day three. This is Wednesday. Uh, we are back in Moscone North, and today it is a lot more busy because it, today is the uh, the expo has opened. Have you had a chance to look around the expo? Not either yet. Of you? Not yet. I um, I had a meeting drop out this morning, so I um, I wandered around the expo for. Now, as you know, I'm a fan of virtual reality, right? Yep. I cannot believe what is going on in there. It is ridiculous. I think somebody's joking. First of all, almost every stand is VR, okay? Almost every stand is some form of VR. And if it doesn't have, uh, if it's not VR, um, it's got peripherals or things that you can do in VR. Um, I saw a a man... um, uh, bouncing a baseball. Do you bounce baseballs? I don't yeah. think so. I'm not uh, an American baseball, man. We should no, basketball. basketball. Okay, Sorry. basketball. Sorry, yeah, no, you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, there was a man wearing Oculus glasses, and then there was a man stood opposite him with uh, the white dots you get from motion capture, and he was throw, throwing a real-life basketball at him that he caught in, in VR, <laughs> which like, just seemed to sort of overcomplicate basketball. <laughs> you know, like, if you wanted to throw it at someone. <laughs> then um, you, sort of, uh, you go around the other, and then there's that... Um, um, what's that uh, thing that you um, that you can walk in VR without actually walking? Oh, that stupid... The, the uh, stupid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. the stupid. You have to wear the special shoes. Yeah, the dumb shoes, yeah. And, uh, that's not the solution. It's just full of people. Um, honestly, there were, there were like maybe eight, eight of them all doing it at the same time. And it just struck me that, you know that bit in the Matrix with the grand, with the big reveal that everybody's plugged, plugged into it? That's what it looks like in there. Yeah. That said, though, I, did, I, I went on one good thing... Um, there is a suspended chair, which I, which, um, I think in other um, circumstances could be uh, considered like a sexy, a sexy chair. Sexy, a sexy chair. chair. And it has two, uh, two, two pulley things. You put um, Oculus on you, and it's got fans opposite you, and you're flying around in a, a jet-powered uh, parachute thing shooting missiles at vehicles. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so we should probably introduce ourselves uh, before we get going. So uh, we are One Life Left. We're a video game radio show and podcast uh, from the UK. Let's say we're the best one, best and favourite. Best and favourite. Uh, we broadcast on Resonance 104.4 FM. And we are joined today by Gamma Sutra uh, by Brian Francis. Yeah, thank you. Hi, I'm Brian. I write on Gamma Sutra and I work with GDC. So... I work for many people so here at the show. you're bringing the kind of gravitas, the interesting questions. You're going to really cut through to the heart of things while we just talk about sexy chairs. I, I hope so. I hope that's what I try to do every day on the site. But sometimes you just sometimes you have to ask people, why does your game involve uh, sucking on a vacuum cleaner? And there's no <laughs> nice way to put it. Excellent. That, that game is here at the show, by the way, at the alt-control GDC booth. It's that, sucking on the vacuum cleaner and licking on the frozen lollies. Crikey, hygiene is a real issue then. Surely, how do they deal with sucking on a vacuum cleaner? <laughs> I wonder what the people coming down the escalator that just overheard the, the end of that sentence think. Um, so what have you two been up to? 
you know, th- this and that. No, I haven't. Um, I haven't had any uh, experiences with games where I feel like my hygiene has been compromised yet. So, I mean, that's that's something. Steve, what have you been up to? Uh, well, last night I played a, uh, a game with a very very interesting controller. Oh, we'll yeah. talk about that later in the show. Okay. And also, I went to a restaurant where I had macaroni cheese on pizza. What? Where are we? America. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Uh, So all throughout the show, we'll be grabbing uh, people who are here at GDC to talk, to attend, to show stuff, to hashtag network. Uh, And we have our first guest here with us today. Is that me? That's you. Oh, that's me. Please introduce yourself. I'm Tommy Refnes. I make things. You make things? Yeah. Any what? things? I made Super Meat Boy. Did you? Yeah. Like a million fucking years ago. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, can I cuss on this thing? Yeah, 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 by all means. Okay, because I don't know, because here in America, we don't like that. You can show people oh, being they... shot in the face, but you can't cuss. Okay. Yeah, so. In the UK, it's almost exactly the opposite. People will swear <laughs> so hard, but you shoot yeah. them, they get really mad. Yeah, yeah, see, that's not, that's not how we do stuff I, in America. I think people all over the world get mad when you shoot them. <laughs> yeah, well, only temporarily. Okay. Depends on where so you shoot them. You're a, you're a man that, that, that cusses, so I... I, I you... Every once in a while, only when that's it's appropriate. That's what you were looking for when you made Super Meat Boy, was it? A game that would make people cuss? No. No? I was just looking for something to do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Having done Super Meat Boy then, what have you been up to since then? A lot of stuff that's probably never going to come out. Because that's how it works. Okay. Yeah. How, how close has any of it come to coming out? Uh, some of it's very close, but it's probably still not going to come out. Okay. Do you find it useful to know that stuff might not come out? So you can just... You, does it make you feel a little freer? Or? No. It makes me feel angry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> No, uh, I, it makes you want to stop working on those things and work on other things, which I have done. So, Do you feel like you have quite a good process for going, you get to a point where you just go, that's it, I'm done with this, I need to move on? Well, with the circumstances surrounding why the stuff isn't coming out, it was a little more difficult because it was more, you know, you try and try and try, and then at one point you just have to go, this isn't going to work. So, that's, if, yeah. Uh, what if, like, we cathartically just released all that stuff today? Yeah, you can't, though. I mean... It's... Well, one of them's terrible. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. We're comfortable with terrible. And the other one, uh, I don't want to. So. Okay. <laughs> I just feel like we could be a diuretic to you. Just nah, I'm good. Just... No, nah, you don't understand. I'm good. Okay. This, this, this works for me. Although, I, ha- I have to ask. I think um, one of the things that, like, I think when you're listening to indie talks and you're listening to indie summits and, like, surviving life is indie talk about, like, you don't, like... Not releasing games happens a lot. It happens possibly more often than releasing games. Like, I think it's still, like, isn't it very important, though, to be honestly talking about when games aren't good enough to launch? Because then if you spend all that money and launch something that really isn't good or isn't ready for that, um, like, it's a bitter pill to swallow, but isn't it still, like, a, a healthy pill? Yeah, no, you have to be honest with yourself. When something's terrible, you have to go, this is terrible, and you can't sit there and go, oh, well, if we do this or if we add that, it'll be better because that's not how shit works. Yeah. I'm, I'm not releasing games quite often. Anne, yeah. you've spent your whole life... I mean, nearly 31 years not releasing games, so, and I'm, I'm hoping to keep that one and up. You, and you feel pretty happy, don't you? I am feeling content right now. There you go. You don't have to release games to be happy. So um, what brings you to GDC? I had a talk... What was your talk about? I did an indie soapbox talk about imposter syndrome. Everybody wanted me to do something funny, but I didn't. I went, I went total opposite with it. Good. Uh, everyone says the same to us. Do something funny. <laughs> Never. No. Uh, did they literally give you a soapbox to stand on? No. Just I would have refused. Okay, good. I don't, they, can't, they can't control me like that. I did see yesterday that, because um, I was just watching like, the Twitter stream from that talk, that uh, the word imposter syndrome came up uh, uh, a lot, uh, and I don't think it's actually come up. Uh, it, I've seen it a lot online. I don't know if it's been shown up in talks a lot here at GDC. Could you briefly like, give us the 30-second version of what the concept is and why you thought it was important to talk about? Um, the 30-second the overview is everybody feels like an imposter, and everybody needs to stop feeling like an imposter, because if you put yourself out there in any way, you're not. You're not pretending or anything. You're, you belong with the people that you think you want to belong with so it's just more of like a self-confidence booster thing i wrote it because uh the other idea for a talk was taken so i had to write it at the last minute so i did and i was like all right well can't do anything funny about this let's just let's just get real with it and that's do what you, i did do you, do you still suffer from imposter syndrome oh no actually well i mean to an extent right. but yeah like in the talk i explained that i monitor how my thoughts are 
And if I start thinking stupid shit about myself, then I go, that's dumb, don't do that. And then I don't do that, so... It and it works. Wise words. If we keep you long enough, can we um, get you to suffer from Stockholm Syndrome? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Although, I mean, you guys will have it for me. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, because I'm, I'm I won't falling, have it for you. I'm falling for you more. Yeah, you guys are all mine. <laughs> you see, that is some straight Rorschach. Like, I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the show and joining us at GDC. I will try, but I probably won't. Welcome back to One Life Left at GDC. Uh, Gama Sutra joining us to dissect the goings-on at this, the world's premier gaming conference. Simon, how's your imposter syndrome going? <laughs> Just talk over it. Keep talking. Um, I tell you what, I was suffering from uh, technology syndrome earlier. So I mentioned the virtual reality stuff. I saw earlier as well um, eye tracking. Have you played a game with eye tracking? I have, yes. Isn't it weird? It's very weird. Uh, there's this new, it was back at $90, I think they're selling it for at the show. Um, and you have to calibrate it by looking at dots. And then when you're playing the game itself, it sort of focuses on where you're looking. Mm. Do you want games to do that? No, I don't want anyone to know where I'm looking. <laughs> Seems very odd, yeah. Do we think this is going to be big next year? Well, I mean, it, the. the the place I've used it is for uh, creating accessible games because you know it allows people <laughs> access to experiences they couldn't normally you know access. I think that's absolutely great. I completely agree. Personally, I, I don't want anyone to track my pupils. <laughs> but they're such nice pupils, Steve. Uh, 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 yeah, but they've got it in the division and stuff like that. And it's just really weird. Really right. weird. I, I just think it's funny that you're talking about they're using like a calibration technique that's literally as old, if not older, than Halo. Look up at like the shiny right, lights right, through right, the yeah, fancy yeah. new technology. Yeah. I'll be interested to see whether, yeah, like I say, they are back next year. As old, if not older than, than Halo. Halo. <laughs> I, I am. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not just us here. Uh, we've been joined by some more fantastic guests. Hello, can you please introduce yourselves? Hi, uh, I'm Kerry Turner. Uh, I make games. I teach people to make games. And now I work for Unity, also teaching people to make games. I'm, uh, I'm Ryan Burrell. I'm the chief science officer for the Indie Mega Booth, which is, is essentially that um, we're running a showcase over here at GDC of 15 hot up-and-coming indie games. And it's up on the third floor at West Hall. Nice. Uh, Kerry... Congratulations. Hi. Congratulations. Oh, thanks, guys. Um, can you tell us a bit more about how that all came about? Because obviously you've been doing Make Play Code for a while now. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, about a year and a bit ago, I um, founded a small organization called Make Play Code where we teach game development taster courses for women, um, sort of little six-week courses to make a game um, just with a focus on demystifying it a bit and, and opening people's eyes to it as a creative practice so not like here's your new career just like pick up a guitar and see if you like this sort of noise you can make with it sort of thing so um, I've run about a year's worth of courses in that that's been going really well we've had like 60 students I was going to say 60 happy students they're probably happy they looked happy um, and sort of off the back of that um, I applied for a role with Unity teaching people to use unity yeah i think that's what i'm doing it's my third day i think that's why I, I th to be, I, I, i'm jet lagged i'm thousands of miles from home i believe i understand what my new job is um don't quote me on it <laughs> and so how does that fit in with a uh, making games are you still able to do that yes yeah, yeah yeah um i will continue to make my own games uh do a bit of freelance on the side uh it won't affect make play code at all that's going to remain independent and separate so uh i'm still me i just do something else during the day ryan what does a chief science officer do well, I handle our website for the Mega Booth and a lot of our kind of back-end technology, limited company business stuff, and I basically hold a lot of the keys and the passwords, and then I help 
with the curation that we do for each of our events. So, so you're, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're, so you're with the Mega Booth. The Mega Booth has the Star Trek themed UI or layout this year, correct? Correct. That correct. is that has been done by our very talented designer, Jess Floyd. So you're the chief science officer of, 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 of a ship, if you will, that has these very uh, uh, LIRR, very inspired design. This is. Are you like trying to be Jordy LaForge right now, I'm chief in, science officer? I'm admitting to nothing because of copyright issues. True. So... <laughs> <laughs> a happy coincidence. So uh, working uh, with the indie megaboos must be a, a dream, right? You just get to play cool games all day, forever. It, I, I'm not going to lie, that is, my, that is probably my favorite part. Um, okay. it's, it's a very daunting task to get. Uh, we, we tend to get somewhere around like 300 to maybe more submissions every time we do an event. Um, and it's so much fun to go through and, and play each of those and see brand new stuff that you have no idea what's happening with it. And just see really cool things that are going our, on. Our audience back in the UK uh, is a very, very broad audience, not necessarily a gaming audience, but they're interested in these fringes mm-hmm. of, the, uh, of the medium in which we work. If you had to recommend uh, a couple of the Indie Megaboost games to people who don't necessarily play games, what would you recommend? Oh, man, that's a, that's a really tough... Okay, so, so there's one in particular that we have this time around, and I really hate... This is not my favorite. I'm not playing favorites, but, but based on your criteria, um, it's called Elsinore, and it is you are essentially replaying Hamlet in a, in a time loop to try and affect the outcome of it. Uh, so it's a thing that it's not it's not a, a gamer's game, whatever the heck that means, but it's a very interesting kind of I, thing. I actually saw this game yesterday, and I'm actually also very excited about this one because it makes so much... It's like they picked a Shakespeare game, and they made they picked the right play because this is such a this is a play that is fundamentally about, like, no one has the right information, mm-hmm. and that's why all the mistakes, and that's why it's the, the, like the pinnacle of tragedy that keeps getting taught in American high schools. And to make a game about trying to get all the information across and like sort of always I think the like with all the stories like this is well what if they just knew this and there wouldn't be a story well no the game is trying to set up a scenario where it shows you like just as much drama happens because just because information gets shared that doesn't stop people's like personal conflicts or petty nonsense if you will like then I'm really excited about that one myself yes so and and I would I would definitely give a shout out to all the other things that we have in there we we pick things that have a germ of something very interesting that is maybe not been done before or been done in a particular way um, to get exposure for those games. So, if uh, A lot of the time on the radio show uh, when we're back in the UK, we, we try and come up collectively with projects and one project that keeps coming back is that we should make a game ourselves as a, as a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the radio show. I, I feel right now we've got like a pretty good team here to help us out. Like Terry, you could teach us how to do that. Ryan, you could give us some inside track onto which game we should be making. So, so. Kerry, I mean, do you set your stu- do, you, do, you, do you set t- um, tasks for your students? Um, like the the course that I teach at the moment is um, based on fabric craft courses. I, I might have mentioned this before. Like um, we, I sort of looked at a bunch of courses that I liked how they work not necessarily technology at all because I think a lot of technology courses are kind of unfocused they're like learn Ruby and you're like what is Ruby and why do I want that so um, I looked at craft courses that kind of had a set time frame and you came away with something at the end of it that you could point to and go I made that so uh, like make a skirt in six weeks we all follow the same pattern more, more project but, based yeah, yeah. Um, but you know you pick the colour of the fabric and you pick the buttons so we're all sewing a skirt to the same pattern it's just that yours will be uniquely yours and you can look at it at the end so yeah we, we, we do set them a project but we're all making it together and they can all put their own spin on it Okay, but so could we suggest a project? Because essentially we are... Oh, would you like to commission uh, right, something? something? Based, I mean, something based around three characters. Handsome characters. <laughs> Handsome, <laughs> witty characters. <laughs> and then, Ryan, how would, um, what's the best way to attract your attention, then? If we were up against 300 other games, is there anything that people could do to make sure they stand out? It, it's interesting because um, I think one of the re- reasons that our team works so well is that we have we all come at the judging process from a, a different kind of set of viewpoints on, on what we kind of value, and then and then we sort of argue it out over the end, and everyone kind of makes a case for if there's any um, you know any discussion about a thing that needs to come in. And so, like for me personally, um, a lot of times the games that we're showing are we're, we're showing 
to the public that have never been seen before. I mean, GDC is a little bit different because of the audience here, but you know, by and large, it's it's people that there's at least some sort of commercial purpose in the end and trying to get exposure. Um, so I really look for something that. It doesn't have to be any particular item about it is super nice and clean and polished. I look for kind of a thing that it has a clear vision of what it's trying to be. Okay. Um, and, and even if it's very early in development, you can, you, after looking at so many things, you really get an idea of these people are on the ball with where they're headed. And maybe all the parts aren't there yet or, or, you know, it's an early build, but, you know, this is a coherent thing that you could put in front of a person and they get what you're putting down, and then they can then like it right. you know, from that. I think, I think what you're saying is that that definitely rules us out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the case, because I think I've seen all sorts of stuff that are, you know, what we kind of lately have been referring to as like triple I kind of right. games that are super high production quality, and to other stuff that is very much not, but it's more the idea of what it's trying to, to convey. Okay. So, I, I don't know, you could, you could do a fun kind of choose your own narrative thing where each of you have a, a pool of, of options of what you're saying and that's going to affect the outcome of the ratings of the show at the, the end. Yeah, the thing is, I constantly <laughs> feel when we're doing this that I do have a pool of options of things to say yes. and there are no right answers. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds like an indie art game, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks so much, both of you, for coming on the show. Where can people who uh, want to follow, follow what you're up to uh, find you? Uh, for uh, Indie Megabooth, uh, IndieMegabooth.com. It's at IndieMegabooth on Twitter. Uh, we're pretty active on there. We're always following up with people we've had in the showcase before. Lots of cool stuff has come out of our group of people. And so, yeah, those are probably the best options. Uh, and to find out more about Make Play Code, um, we're on Twitter. That's Make Play Code. Uh, and me, the human being, I'm also on Twitter. I go by Really Fancy. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome back to One Life Left. Uh, we're still here at GDC with Gamasutra. Um, no, sorry. Sorry to interrupt, Anne. Yeah? But you know what we've forgotten so far is our hidden object. Well, no, I was just about to bring that up because, unfortunately, I saw... Uh, so this week uh, we are playing a hidden object game. We um, had a developer on, an, on our first show who set us all the objects to find this week at GDC. So far, out of ten, we've got two, which isn't great... <laughs> Uh, one of the objects was a pair of pink pants, uh, which I saw walking away as we, we, I was in the middle of a chat, so I couldn't run and get a picture of them. But we are looking out for all of these things whilst we're chatting to you. And you guess, don't worry, we're 100% focused on you, but also, you know, 100% on you and maybe like 10% elsewhere. So if you scream clothing. suddenly, like, ah, pink pants, we'll know what you're we're, talking about. We're looking about. for pink pants, yeah. we're looking for pixelated clothing, we're looking for a golden doorknob, we're looking for R2-D2... Um, this is Steve's uh, Tinder profile. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen BB-8. Is that helpful? No, no, no. Only no. in pink pants. Yeah, so we're looking for all of those things. So um, just keep an eye out for them. Uh, yes, but we're still here and we're joined by two brand new guests. We are joined by Lee and by Robin. Hello, guys. Uh, can Hello. you introduce yourselves, please? Uh, sure, I'm Lee Perry. Uh, I've been making games for about 20 years. I was lead designer at Epic Games. I was there for a decade. Now I'm doing uh, indie games and VR and a handful of mobile games as well, kind of on a side project. And I'm Robin Storm. I've been making and modding games for about nine years now. I'm here at GDC to give a talk about level editors and about how they sometimes really suck. <laughs> okay, can you tell us, uh, tell us about the ways in which level editors suck? Well, it's like... If the, you need to have an editor and you have an engine. Now, the engine might be absolutely amazing, but if you can't just play something simply inside that thing and make it playable, then it's not really a good editor, is it? So, for example, one example I could grab, for example, if you have hammer, you need to place geometry. Now, it takes about five clicks to place like a piece of geometry of a certain size. If you want to do the exact same thing in Unreal, it takes you eight clicks. It may not seem like a big difference, but if I'm working with the editor for three years that time is going to add up. So that's the kind of things that I'll be talking about. And this is yeah. kind of like secretly a very important thing, right? Like, like there are games out there, especially like live operations games, if it's very hard to update levels in these games, if it takes that much time, then the update cycles can't pass it frequently. So this is both like, it's a developer issue that you think is sort of behind the scenes, but it very directly affects many kinds of games. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I remember because uh, I worked with the Unreal editor for a long time. But uh, when SketchUp came out, we had a lot of like the level designers who were like, "Oh my god, you just drag stuff and it just works." And we immediately were trying to like, yeah, exactly address what you were talking about. 
Yeah, that kind of stuff. Like, if you can do a lot of stuff really quickly and make it complex, then you as a developer are having fun making it, and the player gets to have fun playing something really complex that's easy to play. I mean, everyone wins. So, quick question. What's your opinion of the Mario Maker level editor? Have you Really, really awesome. Like, a child can use it. Like, if that isn't, like, a good metric, then I don't know what is. People talk a lot about the uh, democratization of, of engines and tools and how it's great that anyone can make a game. I mean... We as a radio show have been trying to make a game for several years and we haven't, so so far we haven't reached that line yet. But it's interesting if you think about it mathematically, like the way you've just expressed that, there's a certain number of clicks that are required to make a game, right? And how, you know, maybe that's a billion clicks. And as things get simpler, that number will fall, right? What do you think the fewest number of clicks is that you need to make, make a video game? Make one game? What if, if you want to make Pong, it's not going to be a lot. If you want to make an MMORPG, you're going to be busy for a while. Okay. So yeah. it all really depends on what you want to make. But if I'm guessing making Pong in Unity or Unreal, let me think. I would guess about... 10,000. 10,000 clicks. And that's not a lot. That's not a lot. If you you click one day, you can get through that. I'm looking for a number in the sort of low teens. (laughs) Tens. I want the tens. Or the the, the one click to push the make game button. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of studios that'll do things like try to... uh, uh, evaluate the effectiveness of a programmer by how many lines of code he's writing and it's horrible because it's like uh, effectively you're doing it really well you're writing less lines of code you know so I don't know that kind of plays into the, the amount of clicks maybe there's a correlation there too also how the heck do you track like when someone is quicked away to check Twitter really quickly versus uh-huh. or when they've che- I don't know like I don't know looking at their calendar like how do you how do you tell the click tracker to stop tracking <laughs> But if you want to make something super quick or learn how to make things really quick, talk to JW from Vlambeer. Like, he once did a talk thing, like kind of a workshop thing at an event, and he made Far Cry in a 2D editor in Game Maker within 10 minutes. So go talk to him. 10 minutes, I can spare. Uh, but he seems like quite a smart guy, and that might be the issue. Yeah, I think. So, um, are you guys running out of excuses then if they can make Far Cry 2 in 10 minutes? We ran out of excuses a long time ago, but we're still here, so something's going okay. Um, I'm seeing it. Lee, Lee, tell us uh, about what made you make the transition to indie development. Uh, I think it, you know, it's probably the same romantic thing that everybody who leaves big companies go do something of. Like, I want to choose what projects I'm working on more and have more control over it. So, I don't know. And and plus, just a change of scene. I mean, I've been doing AAA games for, at that point, it was, uh, I don't know, 17 years or so. And it's always big, kind of, big organizations. And, yeah, no, no, just kind of less bureaucracy, more... Screw it. And you're working uh, with VR, right? I am, yeah, yeah. Like everybody else at the conference. Uh, I am. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. What's yeah. your favorite VR peripheral? Uh, well, I'm doing kind of a launch title for the Oculus Touch controller, so I think I'm contractually obligated. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, but I really do love everything about uh, both it and the, the Vive uh, Touch controllers. They're just, I don't know, it just feels like utterly the future when you're playing with those, you know? And, yeah. and you call it the Vive. I do. Are you 100% sure that's how you pronounce I, it? I am not 100% sure. <laughs> what, what percentage, roughly? I would say 80. 80. Am I okay. wrong? Interesting, because that is about... We've, we've been asking oh. our guests throughout the show so far to tell us whether it's Vive or Vive. Hmm. And it has split, I think, maybe about 80-20. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm... What? Like, it's, it's Vive. It's Vive. Like, there's no... Who's arguing? Where are they? You sound 100% sure. Yeah, I'm 100% sure it's are Vive. Sure? Yes. We all have Absolutely. our own reality, you know. For some of us, it's Vive. For some of us, it's Vive. You just got to live your life. It's, it's like GIF and JIF. No, it's GIF. What if, uh, what if you are a French-Canadian? Ah... Uh. Well, well, that's well, true. If you speak French, everything's different. Okay. <laughs> so you're 100% certain that it's called the Hurtuka Vive. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just want to really point out for those listening at home that Robin's face was the most like incredulous. I think I think we actually surprised him more than anything else you'll see at GDC. He was like, no, no, it, 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 no. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Do you think um, this conference... Uh, will still have as much VR in it two years from now? Or will it have more? I don't know. I mean, uh, it's very cyclical for, like, all these topics. Like, you know, two years ago, it was how to get grandmas to buy hats from you for a dollar. And, you know, two years from that, it was how to make 
mobile games that worked with one button and you know it, I don't know it's, it's very cyclical so I mean those things are still alive and well but they're not as represented because they're uh, they're a little more solved, I guess. So maybe it'll taper off. But I've been really surprised with how there's a lot of represented disciplines in this year's GDC. I mean, there's a lot of VR stuff on an individual track, but uh, I don't know. It feels like a really good balance as far as the show for the the amount of content that's going on for business and design and new engine tech, etc. What about you, Robin? Are you a, a VR believer? Uh, yes, I'm absolutely a VR believer. Like, I've, I've played budget cuts. That's for me, is like the, the line. Like, if you play budget cuts, you know, like, oh, yes, VR is going to be able to make fully playable games. Can you explain what that game is? Uh, budget cuts is, uh, you can play it at Unity Booth. If you're a GDC, go play it there. It's a game in which it's like a stealth game, and you can throw throwing knives at robots that try to kill you, and you're trying to sneak through a, an office. Okay. It is absolutely amazing. Like this can be like a forty-five hour game that I can play continually, no problem. It's so much fun. And could you wear a headset for forty-five hours? I, well, I'd have to eat, and I'd also have to go to the toilet. So unless there's a really long cord they're going to make for the next version, I don't think I think I have to put it off. I'd like to play a game yeah. where you get to eat in VR. Yeah, that's the benefit of mobile VR, right? You can use the bathroom in so VR. We'll do a peripheral for that. That'll be here <laughs> next year on the show floor next to the, the plastic circles and men with slippy shoes are working on. A um, I think there is there's a game uh, the John Wick demo I think actually has like you can eat a donut in VR I swear this is a thing um, oh, this yeah. was, do you actually eat the donut I mean the donut doesn't like no like the actual digestive process of you the human being in this oh, world but the, the, job the donut simulator up to your face. Well, job go- simulator has the UI is eating donuts and to exit the game you eat the exit burrito it's brilliant <laughs> but you it's don't so actually good. eat okay well yeah yeah I gotta this yeah. is garbage I'm this is garbage you're right I, actually this is really interesting because I talked exactly about that exact thing at the speaker lunch today okay. where someone went okay so they did this thing where you put on uh, like these def- like ad- headphones that blast music and then when you um, eat something like chips, for example, like the crunch that it makes, the sound, mm. is what your brain interprets about how delicious it is. So what you could do is you give someone food and an HMD to put on, and in-game they're eating something different than they're eating in real life. So you would think it's delicious even though it might be disgusting. Yes, you could do that. That's so Matrix. That was literally a Halloween <laughs> trick from when I was in elementary school. <laughs> Brilliant, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, where can our listeners follow your work? Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Mr. Lee Perry, and my game is MoonstrikeVR.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at RYStorm. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to One Life Left, live at GDC. It is what I feel like is the midpoint of our GDC adventures. We've done two and a half shows so far. And I think it's going well. We've had such brilliant guests. We have had such great guests and uh, some very good co-hosts with us as well. Thank you. Uh, is this your first time doing radio? Uh, radio, yeah. Really? Sort of. Done, I've done some video hosting, but not... Oh, I, I, I've, I've been told I have a face for radio, yeah, but we, never we've quite tr- We've tried doing uh, Twitch for a while. We tried doing YouTube as well. It doesn't really suit us. Somehow, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the difference is. Um, the question is, how good are you at the game you're playing? As well, oh, we weren't playing games. Oh, why would we do that? Just, just sit there. Oh, yeah. Anyway, welcome back to One Life Left Live at GDC 2016. It's our third show. Uh, we've had loads of excellent guests. Simon, how do you think it's going? Really well. Did you see they announced Star Wars Battlefront VR yesterday? Oh, there we go. Did you see that? Can you imagine? This is going to be Simon's reviews for the next 20 years. It's just Battlefront, Battlefront, and now Battlefront in VR. They announced the VR version yesterday. Forever. They haven't gone into more detail, so I suspect it won't quite be, you know, I think they're calling it a Battlefront experience. Right, I see. But still, um, how did you feel about the price that they announced, Steve? Did you hear about it? Uh, $400. £349. And can you give another currency? Uh, that's, I believe it was three ninety nine in American dineros. <laughs> yeah, so that doesn't seem like a fair exchange rate. No, uh, uh, but Amazon has sold out pre-orders immediately, did they? Was they one did. of them yours? No. Oh. I know. Interesting. That is the cheapest of the three major headsets, though, yeah? Right, it's not the cheapest of the four, though, is it? What's the other one? The Gear VR. Right, the okay. Vet Air. <laughs> I thought he was going to say cardboard, and then I was really going to have to like just stare at him and go like, "How?" Uh, no, uh, so I'm going to be in uh, three, four, nine. Aaron, are you going to be in? No. Steve, I'll definitely be in, but I'll be, you know, 
I'll be, I'll be playing those games, but my heart will be in the uh, Hurtaka Viva. <laughs> Viva. Brian, are you, are you in for the PlayStation VR at that price? Uh, later, not right away. Okay, good. Uh, we, should, uh, we should introduce our guest and find out his thoughts on the PlayStation VR pricing. Uh, hello, who are you? Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Tyreek Plummer. I, uh, I am the developer of Catacomb Kids, uh, solo indie developer, basically. I've got, uh, I'm doing everything except the music, basically. And uh, it's a roguelike platformer uh, for PC, PC, Mac, and Linux. Uh, yeah, I'm, that's, I'm not, not, could not be further from virtual reality. <laughs> uh, what brings you to GDC, then? Are you, are you talking? Are you, are you networking? Are you showing stuff off? Um, I gave a, a talk yesterday, uh, basically t- speaking on the... Uh, I guess uh, the, the pitch I gave was that it's, I was talking about the uh, representation of human fragility in games, which is basically just to say, uh, talking about different health systems and different ways of representing uh, people as breakable entities in games besides just uh, health meters like and numbers, that sort of thing, because that's really interest me, interested me for a long time and just like in real life like looking at people like we're made out of meat and we like break and then we repair and then we break and that becomes part of our you know identity isn't one of the problems with uh, with video games and fragility that games don't deal with loss very very well yeah that we actually let the player recover almost immediately by you know saving reloading all of those things uh, and actually, that takes away all the sort of jeopardy of damage. Yeah, that was actually one of the major, like, major points of my of the talk that I gave is just like how how important it is to have lasting consequence in games. And I mean, I'm not saying that every game should have these sorts of things. Like, like power fantasies are really fun. Like, I like power; it's pretty cool. But at the same time, like, I feel like there are a lot of things that games, especially like since games like are uniquely capable of like putting you in the shoes of someone else. And like, like making that human connection that I think there's a long way we could go to making that human connection feel more physical and more like relatable on a, on a, on a human scale and just like, oh, like this character breaks, they have trouble recovering and that sort of thing. Um, obviously, uh, obviously your own Catacomb Kids does something very interesting with this. I saw a bit of it in another talk yesterday. Um, but what's a game I think for the audience at home that you could like quickly recommend for someone to, to, if they wanted to see what you were talking about, like different ways of showing this fragility, um, what would you recommend? Um, so, am, am I allowed to recommend something I haven't played myself? <laughs> yes. Uh, only if your conscience permits it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, so as I was writing the talk and like preparing to give it and stuff like that, and like going through all these uh, concepts, I was also like reading about games and like trying to find games that did similar things. And one of the games I found that I have not yet played, unfortunately, but just through reading about it, seems to do all the things that I talked about. Is called The Long Dark, which is like a survival survival game where you're basically like in cold winter like arctic wilderness like trying to survive and make it back to civilization and it has a lot of aspects of like you can get get severely injured like get your like uh, ankle sprained and then you have to like deal with the consequences of that you have to like find warmth and just you know like avoid wolves and all these all these sorts of things where it's like uh, oh like it's it's like a constant management game of, of, of like managing your status and, and trying to stay healthy. And uh, on a more cartoony note, uh, my game also has something where... Uh, my game is Catacomb Kids. Oh, yeah, I mentioned that already. Uh, <laughs> my game has something similar where you can get your arms and legs chopped off. And uh, if you get your legs chopped off, then you just hop around on your torso. And if you get your arms chopped off, you can eat them. Uh, so, Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's a nice segue into our next guest who's just arrived. Uh, hello, Jake. Hello there. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Now i found the place. Well done. Congratulations. Uh, can you introduce yourself? Explain what you do to our listeners, please. Sure. I'm Jake Burkett. I've been an indie developer since 2005, uh, and I'm schlepping around GDC, uh, meeting my friends and talking about my new game. Uh, what's your new game? So my new game is Shadow Hand. Okay. And it's a prequel to Regency Solitaire, which was uh, our last game. Uh, and that was pretty popular amongst a certain s- sort of group of people. And we've uh, revamped it with sort of combat and RPG elements. And it's a, kind of a pretty unique thing now. Regency Solitaire was a really interesting game atmospherically, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it, uh, I worked with my wife on the game. It was her idea, and it was like a Jane Austen-style uh, rom- romance story mixed with uh, 180 different kind of solitaire levels and different mechanics and so on. And that went down, as I say, with people who like costume dramas and things like that. But it was also a, 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 well, a very well-crafted puzzle game that people play for hours and hours and hours. What did you find the sort of reception from the video game community was to you trying something so different? Uh, well, we actually pitched the game at the casual download audience. So this is places like Big Fish Games and Game House. And, and the p- people on there loved it. Mm-hmm. And it was fine. But it was hard to get any kind of press until the game came out on Steam. When it came out on Steam, people sort of, it was validated in, in the eyes of the press. And then people started talking about it. Uh, but it was very, very hard to get any kind of traction before then. It feels like your new game is a little bit more traditionalist in that respect, dealing with combat. Yeah. Um, well, we changed up the theme, so it's got a highway woman in it uh, and a, a whole bunch of sort of different characters. It's, it's not sort of romantic, um, but we've added the combat and the RPG deliberately to appeal to people who like games on Steam and who, because we know that Regency was a very strategic game, but it's hard to get people in the door. And once they play it, they love it. So we had to have a wider theme that, that, that excited a wider range of people. Okay, great. What, what brings you to GDC? Uh, well, I've been coming here for six or something years now, uh, just mostly to see my friends, really. <laughs> really? I've made, made a lot of friends. This year is unusual in that I'm talking to press about my game. Normally, I just sort of hang out and go to the parties. I also did a talk on the first day about um, being an indie developer for you know a long time it was called the no hit wonder because all my friends have got rich and i haven't so uh, you know i'm a bit bitter about that and i wanted to uh, uh talk about how to survive basically for a long time what are your what are your number uh what, do you, what are your top tips to people who are looking because we, we hear a lot we've heard a lot on the radio show about the indie apocalypse and how hard it is to make mm-hmm. independent games okay. right now. There's a lot of people starting out, right, who, right. who see the dream, and the dream is becoming Notch and living in your L.A. candy mansion and right. having to worry about anything. The reality is that you will put your thing out and no one will care. The reality is you're going to just get punched in the face by the market. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of people jump into it with this wishful thinking that they're going to have a hit game. I certainly did at the beginning, and I soon learned that that's not the case. I would say don't spend much money and make something very small at first. Get it out of the door, ship it, find out what the process is like. When it flops, because it will, build upon that, keep building upon it. And at a certain point, you should spend money and go bigger and make a better game. Uh, that's solid advice. That's really, really good advice. I would, I would recommend the same as well. Uh, no, I was actually... Uh, it seems to me that um, the indie summit this year is very focused on survival. We had a guest on earlier talking about, uh, like, sort of mental health survival, like dealing with uh, the fra- uh, uh, this thing called imposter syndrome. Um, like, how do you... Uh, you've been coming here for six years. Like, uh, obviously, there have been indie game talks for those six years. Do you really think uh, there's a renewed focus on this, or is this just me, like, completely cherry-picking stuff out of here? No, I think you're dead right. What actually used to happen, I think a lot of the talks were about um, hit games, but sometimes there were people who just had a hit game and, and didn't really sort of know why. Um, but... but I, uh, there has been a lot of press the last few years building up about the indie apocalypse. It's not a sudden thing. It's a long, big, slow build-up. And uh, you've just got to adapt and not bank on your next game being a hit and plan for sustainability to make it through, is, is my opinion. Tariq, are you, uh, are you planning for sustainability or are you banking everything on this? Uh, on my current game, uh, no. It, I, I've got, I'm working with a publisher, uh, Positech Games, who made Democracy 3 and so on. So we, we're quite prepared for it to flop. I'll scrabble around and survive somehow. If it does great, then, then great. You know, I won't be the no-hit wonder anymore. What about uh, our other guest? I am uh, definitely not uh, anticipating an explosion. I've basically, it's been, like the game is, is doing well, it's currently in early access and it's like doing okay, you know, it's keeping me, keeping me afloat for now, but it's definitely been like a long, slow process. I haven't, it, like when I first started making this game, I wasn't intending for it to be like a hit or anything like that, so I've just been going into it with the mindset of like, I want to just make sure that I'm making this game in a way that will let me keep making it. And not necessarily bank on any like explosive success or, or like come out of the door swinging like oh yeah this is going to be the best thing ever. It's like I, I just want to 
like my current my current objective is just to be in a position where I can continue making this game and make it as good as I can. How have you found early access as an environment? Because I've heard different things from different developers. Some of them end up with a community that's incredibly supportive and helpful. Others find the little, you know, suggestions and the criticisms bring them down. Um, I think it all comes down to communication. Like, you have to be really open and communicative with you, with your community in order to have a community. Because, uh, and also, I think it really depends on the type of game. Because I don't, I honestly don't think that every game is suited to the early access model. Like, where you can like, like really content content based games and stuff, where it's like you like very linear and you don't you don't get much uh, out of repeated playings and that sort of thing. I feel like those might not fit the model of early access as well as as uh, games with, with like high replayability, like multiplayer games, procedurally generated games, and those sorts of things where you can continue iterating and uh, and uh, just like stay in in contact with the community and and like keep their advice in mind, but without necessarily letting them dictate to you everything. Where can people uh, find your work online? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at 4Bit Friday. And uh, the ga- the, my game's website is uh, ckgame.net. And uh, my personal website is 4BitFriday.com. What about you, Jake? Well, I'm on Twitter as at Grey Alien. And my company is Grey Alien Games. So you can find all my games on there. Regency Solitaire is on Steam. Shadowham will be coming out on Steam as well. So, yeah. Fantastic, thanks. Thank you very much. So yesterday, Simon, I went by the um, I went by the uh, by the old Dutch. Oh yeah, I went to went drop by the Dutch. Right, how? I, I got invited to uh, to a Dutch games industry party. Okay. Uh, and I decided to you know take advantage of that invite. Right. And so it was. I went. Down to, uh, is that what you do? You take advantage of an invite rather than accept one. I was there for the, the booze and the cheese. Right. And there was a lot of both, actually. But also, um, I played some video games. Okay. That seemed uh, like an appropriate thing to do. And one of the games I played was a game that involved a pillow. Pillow. A pillow. I've heard about this. What game. an actual physical pillow. Physical pillow. Right. Um, and I played it. Really enjoyed it. Got chatting to the guys there. Yeah. Look what's happened. Here they are. I've no, just seen their name badges. You do what you say on the tin, don't you? Yes, we do. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Yes, my name is Luke. Hello, and, Luke. Uh, we're from Eindhoven, the Netherlands. Hello, Bram. And we make uh, a pillow. We made a pillow controller. You brought the pillow with you. Yes. So I saw you. I saw you just carrying the pillows around with you, and I thought, do you know what? That is prepared. That's preparation right there. Everyone gets a little bit sleepy at GDC. Sometimes you need to have a nap. But I'm going to pull it up right now. Right. Well, first things first. Are we are we letting them have this as pillows? Because they look like cushions to me. Oh. (laughs) What are they? What's the difference between pillow and cushions? <laughs> uh, I think one's square and one's oblong. You, and what you, 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 you sort of sit on one and you sleep on the other. Oh, yeah, I can do both on this one. Can you? No worries, yeah. When you're tired enough, when you're tired enough it doesn't really matter. Fair enough. You're very, uh, very free and easy with your uh, soft furnishings. You want to try to sleep on it? <laughs> I'll leave that to listeners. Um, so explain what's going on here then. I've got a... Uh, I've got a cushion stroke pillow. It's got a number 3.1 on it. Is that important? Oh, yeah. We, uh, we got them linked, and uh, they're all in the same color, so we don't want them uh, okay. yeah, mixed up. <laughs> um, it, has a ca- it has two carabiners. Uh, yes, we have a pillow suit, uh, which is kind of like a teletubby, as you can see here. Um, uh, right, we plug that on, a, on our suit, and then we walk around uh, the floor here. And so people can, uh, can just approach us and play, uh, play our games while okay. we're standing there. How do you, how do you play it? Uh, well, it's, it's, uh, this is the receiver. This is our laptop. We have our own uh, software. It, pretty much, we like to compare it with Steam. It's just okay. uh, software with all your games in it. A launcher. The launcher also works with uh, uh, with the pillows, or will work with the pillows. Not right now. Um, what, what came first, the game idea or the company name? Well, first the company name. It was a, a university project. Uh, okay. The controller. And he made one game with it, and then when he was done with the university, he, um, it's my, my boss, he kind are, of... Are you concerned that you're, that you're pigeonholing yourself, your, your sort of future output? 
but you can only make pillow games from now on. Well, clearly, they're completely yeah. content making I see, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, go on. I was, I was filling time while that was loading up. I'm not sure if you noticed. Uh, yeah, well, I'm starting a game right now. This is... Um, you, so. haven't, you haven't spelled pillow with a W? No, it's a uh, brand name. Oh, good branding, good. It is branding. I also, love branding. Was, that, was that URL available? Yes. <laughs> uh, the one with the W uh, was already taken by uh, adult content. Was it really? <laughs> so don't go to pillowgames.com with a W. Are you saying that this isn't Without adult content? Because we've had a fair amount of it on the show so far. Adult content? Yeah, we have, yeah. Oh, well, in that case, then you should go to Pillow Games with a W. <laughs> okay, right, it's loaded. What's going on? Uh, well, the, this is your controller. This is? Yes. Okay. And inside, there's a pressure sensor and a gyroscope. Gotcha. Uh, this game works with the pressure sensor because the gyroscope and these versions are not optimized. We have new versions on the way. Right. And they work really well. Okay. And... Um, well, I already then, like it. It feels, lo- it feels lovely. Yeah, it's a pillow. It? It's just, that's what I felt. Like, even when, I wasn't, when we finished playing the game, I kept... Did you? You kept hugging? ...pillow or cushion close to my chest, just it, holding it. Is this hygienic? Because I've noticed in a lot of the... On the VR st- um, stuff, and there's an awful lot of it around, which we'll probably talk about later, but um, what they're doing is they're, they're surgically wiping the um, headsets <laughs> in between every use. Well, this... Uh, it's dust and um, liquid... Dust and liquid. Yeah, it, it's... What's uh, the harm in that? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not too sure about uh, yeah, okay. human filth. But, uh, which one did, do you remember which one Steve used? Was it 3.1 or 3.2? I think I when, when you... When you... Let's see what it smells of. <laughs> it's, you just it smells lovely. Dust and liquid in your... <laughs> no, it's, it's it dust smell? and liquid. It, smell, uh, it smells of steam. It smells of steam. Um, Steve has got a very distinctive... Um, like, Buff. you know, well, in the morning... After, because he normally gets up first from the One Life Left house, and um, I sort of roll over, and sometimes, you know, if I don't open my eyes, I can imagine. I think he's there because the smell is so strong. <laughs> right, let's go. Yes, if you press your pillow, uh, you control the menu buttons. So right now, uh, right now you're at options. If you squeeze it again, okay, gotcha. It goes to start. Now I'm holding the pillow to actually start the game. I'm watching Simon squeeze the pillow. I feel like I'm learning learning a lot about Simon's hugging technique. Oh, I see. Oh, nice. I'm I'm on the right side. You're on the left side. And now with with the pressure sensor, when you apply more pressure to it, your side goes up. And same for mine. And we have to cooperate. uh, Excellent. So what's happening here is we are both controlling uh, the end of a line. Yes. Um, the more pressure we apply to our pillows, uh, the more a dot around the edge of a circle rotates. And we are trying to hit a, an item on the screen. In this case, it's a skull. And now we're avoiding the dragons. So, yeah, the pillow controller is always sold in pair. And, okay. Um, uh, our games, the games we make, are always uh, based on cooperative gameplay with low violence. I mean, it feels almost like we could leave you here for the rest of the day just hugging... Uh, Do you want to try it? Hu- hugging pillows. I would love to try, but um, I think we're going to... We've got some more guests lined up for, uh, oh, to cool. come on. We were I'm so sorry. We were it, definitely going to uh, beat the high score there. Yeah, where, we where, so where can people that, um, that aren't me play this? How, how, how can people uh, get We are at uh, Old Game. Uh, old, old Game. Control. Oh, uh, oh, right. It's right here in GDC Play area. Great. And what about those that are listening who aren't at GDC? Who aren't in GDC? Well, you can buy them on our on our website. Okay. And uh, else we'll be have our own. Uh, we have our own playground in Eindhoven, the Netherlands. So if you're around Eindhoven, please come visit us. That's great. Thanks very much. Um, I'd recommend you give that a good wash. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no Thank more dust and liquids. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Welcome back to One Life Left at GDC 2016. We are sat at the bottom of the escalators in the Mos- North Moscone. It's north, isn't it? I get confused. It is north. And also, yes, sir, I kept saying we're sat at the bottom of the elevators because I wanted to use the correct Being American, American word. <laughs> Being American. Just didn't use it for the right thing. Sat at the bottom of the lifts. We are the UK's favourite video games radio show. Um, Delighted to be joined by uh, our friends at Gamma Sutra um, and a couple of new guests. Hello, new guests. Hello. Hello, who are you? I'm Katie. Hello, Katie. And I'm Catherine. Hello, Katie and Catherine. How's it going? Uh, quite well. <laughs> Extremely busy here. Is it? So, do you, do you not have much time? 
<laughs> I, I have plenty of time for the UK's top gaming podcast. Exactly. Catherine, what, what, what brings you to GDC? Well, I actually work with Gama Sutra as well, what so I'm covering various odds and ends for the conference, uh, panels and games that tickle my fancy, which I shall get back to beavering to after this, I promise. <laughs> what have you seen so far? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's day one of the show proper, although there have been things going on for the last couple of days, so what have you uh, sniffed out? So, uh, one of my favourite panels that I've seen so far was uh, BioWare's uh, lead writers talking about their work on the Trespasser DLC for Dragon Age Inquisition and the work that went into it. And it was actually quite fascinating. You know, they, they talked about their process, which at first seemed, you know, rather standard, uh, accept critique, be prepared to do revision, etc. But the way that they defined that and laying out a vision that took cues from popular culture, which I actually didn't know about, uh, Bioware, and they, they said that the Trespasser DLC was meant to be like Indiana Jones meets Captain America Winter Soldier, and that the climax was meant to be Indiana Jones opening an arc full of feelings. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, I, I rather enjoyed that. Okay, and have you spent much time in, the, in uh, VRGC? Did you... Were you there for the first couple of days? I have not gone to VR GDC. No. I, I feel like the, the VR people might not like me very much. Why? <laughs> With my, you know, my social criticism, honestly. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I'm very suspicious of it right now. Right. Uh, have you ventured onto the expo, uh, the expo floor? I haven't yet. I will be after it's, this. It's full up of VR. It's overflowing with VR and peripherals and, and stuff like that. It's what, absolutely, absolutely what makes crazy. you uh, so suspicious of VR? I'm sorry. I feel like I'm monopolising the conversation, <laughs> Katie. Yeah. We will come to Katie soon. She's a VR expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I... I think that it's fascinating, and I do think that it is going to be the next great technological wave of video gaming. I'm looking forward to seeing what gets done with the medium. Uh, I, I do worry about it. Uh, one of the things that I love about video gaming was the sort of classic sense of being able to sit on a couch with all of your friends and have a form of virtual enjoyment that bled over into the physical, or the way that the Wii made uh, motility shared in a way that could be... Uh, combined with interacting with someone in the physical world right next to you. Whereas VR, I think, is very uh, isolating, at least in its current design. Uh, I think that it can evolve beyond that, of course. And I also uh, worry a lot about the potential for uh, new forms of harassment that may not necessarily have been foreseen by many of the developers in this space, especially as they start developing, like, uh, virtual societies that use the VR interface. That's something that I, I'm concerned about, and I've always advocated for, you know, antisocial behavior being something that's considered from the ground up in the development of any platform, whether it's a game or social media, etc. And I haven't really heard enough about that. I think there was a talk about that yesterday. Uh, yes. Yeah. Did you go to that talk? I, I wish I could have. It was overlapping uh, another talk I had to attend. There's a lot of great stuff to see here. <laughs> I think there's an interesting conversation that... So we have a Slack uh, where basically like worldwide VR developers all chat and talk with each other. And we had a, a quite a long discussion about the fact that suddenly, yes, you go into... Uh, like I guess you used to go into PlayStation Home or Second Life and you would have a male avatar or a female avatars doing some pretty nasty things to a female avatar that just happened to be there. Mm-hmm. That's even worse in VR because you're playing first person and someone's intruding on your personal space. Yes. And that is, and it's like, well, what, what can we do about it? And it's like, we, you know, we're talking, it's like, can you mute that person? It's like, well, if you do mute that person personally, like, everyone else can still see what they're doing and assume it's socially acceptable to be able to do that. It's like, how far can you take it? Like, I just, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get to go to the talk tomorrow, uh, yesterday. Um, but, um, yeah, I'd love to hear what she said if we could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially because the, one of the great benefits of VR is that it takes the immersive aspect that's been endemic to video gaming from the start and really takes it to another level, up to and including attempts at simulating full-on physical feedback. I was in um, not the main expo hall, but the one right over here, and I saw this... Uh, VR simulation of a person flying, and it was a full-blown uh, 
whole console that a person laid down on and flapped their arms and everything, right? Like, there are so many ways in which VR is pushing the boundaries of what you can actually simulate with the game. But my worry is, like, all that physical feedback being abused by toxic players in some capacity mm. in multiplayer environments. I mean, I have to admit, I have basically have decided to stay away from any online gameplay because mm. I just don't feel like it's worth the hassle, you know? I used to play, like, Halo 2 back in the day, and the amount of abuse I would get, it's basically put me off as a game designer ever developing anything like that. Yes. Um, and probably affected my career in some ways, you know? Um, so, yeah, it's very much an issue, which I know that there's quite a few developers out there that are trying to do something about it. So, um, Just to kind of take from... Uh, um, how are, you, are you curious what methods... Um, I think one of the quickest examples for, like, hey, here's something that's kind of working in mass games right now uh, that may be quickly, like maybe there's a similar VR. Um, games like Hearthstone, which actually um, use very limited um, uh, social interaction. It's like eight emotes that you can fire off at once. Um, and they're still able to support a rich community in the game. It's, uh, obviously, there's a forum community. There's online communities around the game. But if you're just playing the game, you, in theory, could like climb up the charts and uh, without having this mass social interaction. Do you think there's anything that, uh, adaptable to VR? But like obviously, now that like you're in the space, you have this first-person view or this like very in-the-space view. Do there's anything to, to that like uh, sort of just base communication, no non-verbal stuff that you think can work very well? Yeah, I mean, like uh, I guess an example of that would be if you look at the Oculus toy box. Uh, basically, it's just a floating blue head and hands, and there's no way to really identify someone through that. Um, and you can potentially op- like optim- um, potentially speak in it, but then that's like totally optional. And then all you've got is basically just hand movements and a floating head. And with that, it's like you, you, I guess there's only so much abuse you can have, like poking someone in the eye repeatedly. <laughs> but it's not the same sort of thing because there's no body to interact with, no physical, actual body to interact with. I, I am so worried about uh, my vulnerability when I'm wearing a VR headset that I cannot play it without locking the door first. And it's only me in the room. And that makes it feel also a bit weird. It's a private space for me. We actually haven't uh, asked uh, Katie (laughs) what you're doing here. Yeah, so actually I did a talk about social VR on Monday uh, and that was basically how people within the room can actually interact and play with each other even though one of them's in the VR headset. Uh, and we took examples uh, from what we've done with what we call a shared screen and what Sony announced today was a social screen, which is basically the same thing. Um, and then uh, basically allowing the VR player to put on a performance for everybody else. So uh, we're going to be showing uh, Unseen Diplomacy, which is basically a jam game that we did at the Valve stand on Friday. Um, and that is basically where we've got people just crawl around on the floor in front of people, roll underneath lasers. Like, it, it's really... This is basically a physical VR assault course. Uh, and with that, we did a, a big sort of theatre-like production up at Game City. And so I basically talked about that as well. That's awesome. Uh, and so do you have any other plans for the rest of the week? Uh, I'm trying to keep it fairly free now um, because I'm pretty much front-loaded with all the VRDC talks, obviously. Um, but uh, I really want to uh, get into some potentially more level design talks. So, like, it's been a while since I've done level design. I just need a bit of a refresher, so it's cool. That's good. And how can people uh, look you guys up if they're more interested in hearing more from you? Um, so uh, we have a website, triangularpixels.com. Uh, but also, uh, if you uh, go into any basically UK events uh, like VR World Congress, uh, we'll be doing talks there um, and potentially other uh, up and coming shows. Cool. And uh, Catherine, how about you? Uh, looking up what uh, I'm working on and whatnot. Well, you can just find me on Gama Sutra. Just uh, put my name into the search box and you can find all of my recent columns. And also Google my name, Catherine Cross, K-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-C-R-O-S-S. Uh, and my Twitter handle is, uh, it's going to be difficult to say, it's Quine underscore moon, Q-U-I-N-N-A-E underscore moon, as in the celestial object. Uh, so you can find me there. And also for those... Uh, folks attending GDC, I will be speaking at uh, 5 p.m. on Thursday tomorrow on uh, giving a lecture uh, entitled Immoral Women and Why Your Game Needs More of Them. 
Excellent. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that. Thank you guys so much for coming on. My pleasure. Well, that concludes another uh, One Life Left at GDC. I think it went well. I flew by. Yes. It did. Flew by. It did. I think we really, really have to push on the hidden Sorry. objects thing. There's a lot yeah, on our yeah, list. Pirate flag. Okay. okay. Pirate flag. Sorry. We found that. Oh, gosh. So we need to do some of that work tonight, I think. What, what are your plans tonight? Uh, tonight I have a dinner with a platform format holder. Nice. I'll go to the Humble Party and the NVIDIA Party. Oh, you're very popular. Yeah, I sadly I can't make the Nordic party. I hope, I hope it goes well. Uh, yeah, we'll be at the Nordic party. We'll be doing our mariachi thing there. It's really, really exciting. And, uh, it will go well. And if it doesn't go well, you'll hear about it on the podcast tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Brian, thank you so much for your help. Thank you. And I, I should just say, like, tonight is also the Game Developers Choice Awards and the IGF Awards for 2016. So, best of luck. You'll be you'll be covering that for us, weren't you? Trying to get the scoop uh, down on the show floor. Yes. Uh, well, uh, in the up there, uh, the winners will all be going up online. But you can watch the ceremony at uh, Twitch.tv/gdc. Um, so you can watch from home if you're here. Uh, head over to the uh, Moscow and West uh, Ballroom, and uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the show. Great. Uh, we'll be back here tomorrow. Same time. Same thing. You know how. You know how it is same by stuff. now. Same, same stuff. stuff. Same kind of stuff. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>